Let's go to James chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 1. James says this, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only you want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that you uh, say that uh, the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? But he gives us even more grace. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. Verse 7, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. This is the theme verse for COVID-19, by the way. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. This doesn't exactly sound like kind of the happy, uh, you know, way we expect our faith to go. We kind of want it to be cheerful and joyful. And he's, he's kind of laying a heavy on us on this one. As I was prepping for this today, I was thinking about, you know, something that I've been noticing, and this is purely anecdotal, this is not, you know, scientific in any way, but, uh, you know, I've been noticing that, that there's sort of this wide underlying sense of, I, I would call it disappointment in our 20-somethings and 30-somethings. Um, we, we call them millennials because they were kind of graduated from high school in, in the new millennium, millennium and, and beyond, but we told them things like, well, you can be anything you want to be. And, uh, you know, just just follow your heart and stick to your dreams and, and be true to yourself. And, you know, if you go to college, you'd be guaranteed to to be successful and have a career and all those things. But then then real life came along and 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 all that kind of phony self-esteem uh, boosting turned out to be a bit of a fantasy. And it turned out to be harder than than they were led to believe. And uh, if you're in that category, I I want to apologize. I'm I'm sorry that. That your parents and my generation and up, we, we kind of overpromised. And, uh, and your, your adult leaders and so on, we, we, we kind of failed you. Um, because I think we let you, failed to let you experience the real toughness of life. I think it's one reason why that age group, your age, you know, you guys are, are struggling, I think disproportionately with, with the threat of COVID-19. We made you believe that life was just going to be Easy and prosperous. And, and for many it has been. Life has been easy and prosperous, especially compared to your parents, your grandparents. I mean, think about this. Like my parents tell stories of actual hardship, like actually going hungry in the, in the thirties, in the, in those depression years. It was, it was difficult. That was their hardship. My hardship? I don't know how many of you remember the, the Sears Christmas wish book. Christmas catalog. My hardship is that you got to pick out one $20 item. That, that was, you know, 
That was my level of hardship. For my kids, you know, their hardship is they don't know what a catalog is, for one thing, right? They, you know, their hardship is I didn't buy them cars. You know, you think about like the levels of difficulty. It doesn't even, there's no comparison. And so wanting a, a permanent address on, on easy street is nothing, nothing new. Uh, James here that we just read, he's talking to, to, to believers, like good Christ following Christians, right? And he's giving them a warning that they're grasping for pleasure. They're grasping for something, uh, that, that, it, that, you know, that they want instead of striving to live a life that pleases God. He says they were embracing a friendship with the world and it was causing their fellowship with each other to break down. And it's, he says it's even making you an enemy of God. He says in verse 4, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So James goes so far as to say, well, you want what you don't have, and so you scheme and you kill to get it. That's a little bit shocking. Kill? Really? They're killing each other? I mean, they're just like beating each other up in the church parking lot? Like, what is happening here with these people, right? I, I want you to keep in mind that Jesus said that to speak angrily to each other it is equivalent to murder. That's what Jesus said. And we do use that word kill rather casually, don't we? Like, man, I'd kill for a good cup of coffee right now. <laughs> like, we we wouldn't literally, like, strike the barista down and leave them flat out on the floor. I mean, we, we know what we mean by that. So it's hyperbole. But again, the drive to please ourselves or to get people around me to to like me or approve of me, Right To get my own way, even in a church setting. When we do that, we're guilty of soul-killing behavior. Sometimes the battle of covetousness and, and jealousy comes couched in good intentions. Maybe you just want to fit in with your friends so, so you, that you can be a good witness. I mean, that's your rationale for it. But then you lose the distinctiveness of your witness and, and you never actually share anything about Christ. Well, I'm just going to, you know, I just want to fit in. and Yeah, but you never... You never lead any, you explain to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus. It reminds me of every teen drama movie. You know, you know the, you know the, the trope. I mean, you know exactly what happens in every teen drama movie, right? The normal kid who's kind of got nerdy friends, uh, suddenly does something or somehow wants to fit in with the cool kids and they do that thing that's going to fit them in with the cool kids, but then they abandon all their regular friends, but they're accepted into the cool group now and they kind of become a bit of a jerk, but then they do something to get rejected by the cool kids and now they have to go crawling back to their old friends and be, you know, suck up to their nerdy friends and like, I'm sorry. And, and then it turns out that their nerdy friends are actually the real cool people in the end and it happens again and again. I mean, every teen movie is sort of that same pattern, right? Well, I don't know if you've ever done that. Kind of abandoned your authentic identity, your true identity as a Christ follower, as a child of God, just to fit in or impress some kind of cool group of people. Man, I remember as a kid, I was, you know, sometimes, the older I get, sometimes those childhood stories really come back. I remember, I think I was in the sixth grade, and something happened at school, and uh, and uh, well, I remember I won't go into the situation, but I remember you know we were kind of all the students were upset about a decision the teacher had made, and I was trying to impress this seventh grader. I was in the sixth grade of that. In my school, you had K to seven in a school, and uh, I was in the sixth grade, and I wanted to impress this seventh grader. And uh, as we're walking back, I I used I uttered profanity 
right? Sixth grade, good Christian kid. Because I wanted to be cool. I wanted to fit in. And this kid, his name was Dean. I just remembered so clearly. He turned to me and he says, you don't talk like that. And he's the kid that, you know, could string out the F-bombs, no problem. And now I just felt so guilty and just washed with like shame and embarrassment because I had abandoned who I was to try to be something that wasn't for me. All right. All of that is the setup to the problems we're talking about in this passage. This striving for significance, right? To be in control, to be noticed or to be successful or to prove something or just to be the boss of our own playground for once. Just to like have some control of our life and space. And James is coming down hard on these believers. See, in addition to accusing them of killing each other and murder, right? He calls them sinners. He calls them adulterers. He calls them enemies of God. Those are strong, strong words. I don't know how that would make you feel if I stood up here and said, you're a bunch of adulterers, sinners, and enemies of God. You would not want to come back to this church, would you? This is strong language, harsh indictments on these people. But I have to admit, I'm guilty of all that same stuff. I'm guilty of all those same sins. I've done all those same things. So, so what do we do about this? How do we respond to this? When we find ourselves doing life the world's way instead of God's way, even as believers, right? When we fall into being a friend of the world rather than being a friend of God, how do we correct this problem? And he tells us that. But I've got a little illustration to help with that. All right, let me see if I can make this work. Let's say I have here this cup, it's empty, and I want to have a drink of water, okay? So let's say this water represents my life, okay? And it can be a blessing to others, and you could have a drink of clean water, it'd be nice. But then, and I was going to do this all outside this morning, um, so we'll see if this is going to work properly. That's why I got a big old bin here. But I grabbed some junk out of the, flower bed this morning some leaves and dirt and stuff that represents like the sin that accumulates in my life it just gets in there nobody wants to drink this right now it looks pretty awful in fact i don't even want anybody to see what's going on in my life i want you to think that i've got a nice cup of water here so i'm just going to put a lid on it i'm just going to put a lid on that well I can't drink this water until that dirt and junk is cleaned out, can I? James is telling us there is a way. He's saying God gives what? More grace. I need God's grace to, to clean that out. Now, I was going to do this with a garden hose this morning, but these pitchers. So I want you to imagine that, that these pitchers are God's grace. And that grace is going to flush out the junk and the dirt, but there's a problem. I've still got the lid on. That lid is keeping the grace of God from pouring into my life. And James is saying, you've got to humble yourself. What does it mean to humble myself? It means I've got to open my life up. Let others see what's going on. Be real about what's happening. Remove the the hiding and remove the shame and remove the covering and saying, God, I want to open myself up to your grace. Now watch what happens. This, I, I hope this works, right? Let's say the grace of God pours in. And if I poured enough in, especially if I had a good garden hose, an endless stream of water, 
man, there's, I can count them. There's one, two, three, four, five. There's six tiny flecks left in there. And it was a huge cup of junk. And that grace just keeps pouring. God, I just want more of your grace. It's clear. That water's clear right now. In fact, I spilled right down my chin. Look at that. That abundance of God's grace cleaned that mess out. And so that camera, can you see that? Right? Look at that. But what had to happen? I had to humble. I had to open up and let, let it in. I had to let it in. And you know what? There's more. I've got, I've got another picture of this, this abundance. There's more and more grace that God wants to pour into our lives. And, and it's okay if God's grace gets all over you. It's okay. It's okay. It may not be pretty, but it's good. We've got to humble ourselves is what he's saying. The good news right there in verse six, he gives more grace. Why do you need more grace? We're, we're saved, right? We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Isn't the grace of salvation enough? Like, shouldn't that be sufficient for the rest of our lives? It's not. It's not enough. That grace of salvation is great, but there is a constant war going on in us between our selfish desires, like what I want to have, and the, and the desire to please the Lord. Even though you're a new creation in Christ, right? That natural, for example, jealousy, one of the things that James talks about there, can only be defeated by God's grace pouring out again and again in a constant stream, in an abundance in my life, I need to receive more of that grace. We need it daily, hourly, moment by moment. So how do I get it? How do I get more grace? How do I get that water flowing and overflowing into, into the cup of my life and clean it out and flush it out? Because you know what? More junk accumulates. So that grace has to keep pouring. It has to be a constant flow has to be a constant flow. James tells us this in verses 6, 7, and 8. He said, here's this key. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. I want to talk about those three things. Humble yourselves, resist the devil, and come close to God. The first thing is to humble yourself. Don't wait to be humiliated. That's not good. Instead, humble yourself. Don't wait for that. Not now, not till the, at the day of judgment. Humble yourself. Repent of selfishness and sin. He's saying, feel the weight of it. Like, feel deep sorrow. Cry over it. Break, let yourself be broken, right? The following verse, he says, purify your hearts. Let there be tears. Let there be sorrow. Let there be deep grief. Sadness instead of laughter. Like, that does not sound like a fun day at church, does it? But he's saying, feel it, let it, let it flush out, let it cleanse out of your life. I wonder if you've ever been broken by your own sin. You know, where you just had like cried ugly tears and just like, God, I just am so sorry for, for the mess you're, that mess I've, I've been in. And, uh, and if not, ask God to do that for you. Ask God to do that for you. It, it can be very humbling. Especially in a, in, in a public setting, sometimes you've seen someone who just has that moment with Jesus and they're at the altar and they're, they're just kneeling before the Lord and they're just like, man, I'm just broken before God. There's something so cleansing that happens in that. That's one of the ways we just allow ourselves to receive God's grace. 
Second Corinthians chapter seven reminds us that it's good for us to recognize our sin and then to grieve for it because it's it's a sorrow that's good when it leads to repentance. Godly sorrow is good because it leads to repentance. Like, oh, okay. I I think we're reaching a point in the American church, honestly, where God is beginning, beginning to separate those who want to humble themselves before God and those who want to just play church and live for their pride and pleasure. I think God is, is beginning to do that work. He's calling us. He's calling us to, to say, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. I think those more difficult times are coming. So humble yourself. Stop hiding. Take the lid off. Be open and honest. We had a, a guy's meeting here yesterday. We kind of restarted men's ministry at Bethany Church at 6 a.m. It was, it was early. Trust me. It was, it was early. Uh, the burritos helped get us here, but you know, for guys just to be able to share at tables, pray for each other, open up what's going on. It was awesome. It was just awesome. Second thing is to resist the devil. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's saying, don't just go with the flow. Don't, don't, don't just kind of, kind of coast along. Don't be passive or apathetic. Resistance is active. Resistance is an active stance. And when you think about, you know, it's been in the news, all these demonstrators, all the, 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 you know, the violence and the looting and all that stuff. Those people are resisting, aren't they? They are actively resisting. Now, I would say they're resisting things that are good. They're resisting things that, that have, have built our nation in a good way. They're resisting, resisting. Well, why wouldn't we resist instead of resisting what is good? Why wouldn't we resist evil? Why wouldn't we take a stand against those things that are, are, are tearing us down. We stand up for what is good. And here's the amazing thing. The devil doesn't stand up to people who resist him. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I, I would just say this, for example, I mean, let me give you some examples. If you're struggling today with, an, let's say, an addiction to pills or to pornography or or maybe you're an alcoholic or a workaholic or a sportsaholic or whatever aholic you are, right? He's saying resist aggressively resist because it could be that the devil is using those things to really keep you from flourishing in your relationship with God. You probably won't be able to break free from those things without some help from some other people. It's tough to do on your own. That's why he's given you the body of Christ. That's why he's given you one another to do that. But when we resist the devil, we realize he's actually the source of those things that are destroying us. Sometimes we're just trying to address the symptoms instead of recognizing the enemy is actively seeking to destroy. We resist him when we walk away from those things. The third thing is this, to come close to God. It says, draw near to God and he will come close to you. This is an amazing promise from scripture. It's not that you, sometimes I hear this language. I, in fact, I just heard it yesterday. I'm, you know, I'm chasing after God. And I get it. I understand it's the sense of like this active pursuit of God, but it makes it sound like God's playing hide and seek. It makes it sound like God's running away and I'm chasing God. So I understand the sentiment behind it, but isn't, isn't it amazing that as I draw near to God, he draws near to me. It's an amazing promise of scripture that God actually wants to be near you. Uh, 
you know, I just wonder, like, is there any time where you just stop and, and, and listen to the Holy Spirit? Maybe are, you know, are you on a reading plan where you're just spending time in, in Scripture, in the Bible, getting through that way? Is there any place that you personally engage with God? I, I think of this command as like, like I visualize, you know, like pulling up a chair close, you know. I, I love these moments. My wife's a, a, a nurse. Yeah, registered nurse, and she'll come home after a 12-hour shift, and she'll just sort of plop down on the couch, and I just, I like to kind of plop down with her. We sort of have this drawing near to each other. How was your day? How did it go? Tough, wasn't it? Oh, it was hard. Oh, you know, my day was great. I hardly did anything today. Oh, you worked 12 hours? Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, sorry I didn't clean up the kitchen while you were working hard all day. You know, like those kinds of moments, uh, right? This pulling up a chair, and God draws. We draw close, and he draws near. It's It's wonderful. Friends, there's nothing we can do in our own strength to defeat sin and to live a holy life. Really, your own efforts at righteousness are, are in, the Bible says, filthy. But instead, we can be that open cup that receives the grace of God. Just to say, God, I, I just want to open myself and receive more of your grace. Just let it flow, Lord. Let it flow. Let it flow. Here, here's the amazing thing. As that abundant grace pours into us, there's enough to share with others. There's enough to give out to the people around us. To be able to say, I'm so far from perfect. I'm so far from perfect and I need grace. And as I do that, I'm able to extend that grace to others. In fact, it helps me to stop demanding perfection from other people. I can't believe that guy did that. I can't believe she said that, right? Instead of saying, you know what? Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. I'm going to extend grace. I'm going to make room. The Apostle Paul says it elsewhere. Make allowance for one another's faults. I'm going to make room. I'm going to make a broad path for that. Christy, would you and the team come back and prepare to lead us in that closing song? Here's my question. Are you willing to humble yourself today? Are you willing to humble yourself? It is the, it is the cure for self-sufficiency and self righteousness and and self um, you know appeasement seeking pleasure and it's kind of building our own life as we humble ourselves not waiting to be humiliated but to humble myself and say god i admit i'm a sinner god i i admit i need your grace to admit to other people hey i'm sorry for what i did to to seek forgiveness where we've wronged someone to say i need to make this something right with you whatever it takes to humble ourselves as the beginning point because that's the cure. That's the cure. And that's the kind of way we open up and receive God's grace. It says God opposes the proud. I promise you, you do not want to be opposed by God. I do not want to be opposed by God. I want to see, receive more and more grace. How about you? Will you humble yourself? Will you resist the devil? Will you draw near to God today? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. I thank you that... In a way, it seems so simple, but I know I always get in the way of my own best intentions, Lord. And so, God, I'm asking again today that you would teach me more of how to humble myself so that I can receive your grace, draw near to you, and resist the devil today. Lord, we just, we need you more and more. And so I just welcome you to guide us into that, guide me into that. Lord, and let us, let us, as we receive your grace, spill it over into the lives 
of other people so that we'd be known as a people, not like James was talking about people who are bickering and quarreling, but people, we'd be known as people who are giving more grace to one another. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your great, great love for us. Amen. Christy.